Thanks, guys. Great to be here with you. You warm enough? You all right? Just turn to the person next to you and say, I've got cold hands but a warm heart. That's what my mum told me. I, I don't, I've never worked out the implication of if you have warm hands. It doesn't sound good, though, does it? It's, like, it's not good for you if you've got warm hands. Um, it's great to have you with us. And if, again, if you're here for the first time, fantastic. And also just to welcome everyone who's listening online, fantastic to have you with us. And uh, we are beginning a new series as a community called Fresh Fire. And uh, it comes from two places, really. One um, thing you need to know about us, if you're joining or part of our community, is that we really uh, want to lead this church where God is leading us. And so um, as leaders, we often uh, review the words, the prophetic words that you guys have sent into us, of, of the ones that you feel like God is speaking to us about, and we'll review those. And there's two kind of real themes that have come out recently. One is this theme of God wanting to pour out fresh fire on us as a community, that we're to be expectant for fresh fire to come upon us as a church and that we would know a greater degree of the power of his spirit and his fire in our hearts. And so that was an encouraging word. Um, Phil was encouraged anyway. I'm sorry about the rest of you, but anyway. Um, and the second word was around uh, to do the things that we did at first. And so um, I think what that's referenced is referencing is to go back to some of the early lessons as God began to move on us as a community powerfully numbers of years ago. Um, there were some things that we learned in that season that we feel the Lord is wanting to remind us about and to perhaps take us deeper in because they're the keys to future breakthrough and future life. And so combining those two, we're going to just look at some of the things that we learned before. For some of you, this will be a kind of rerun and you'll have heard some of these things before and I'm trusting that God's going to take it deeper in our hearts. I know he is in me. For others, this will be your first time. So strap yourselves in if that's you because God has got some great things ahead for us in this season. And it really began... Uh, and, and just to say, actually, just even saw something of this last night. I, we were, had around 300 young people from uh, Catalyst, which is the group of churches we're part of, come to this room, and they slept for two nights in this building. Um, and uh, fortunately, I wasn't among one of those who were sleeping. Uh, um, but we, they had a great time. And um, they last night, we were just uh, praying. And as I was um, speaking to them, I had a pain in my left knee, which... Uh, I have only twice in my life had a, a, a word of knowledge that was started with a physical pain that I could feel. And I felt this pain and I, and I said, oh, I feel like God's going to heal some knees. If you've got a pain in your left knee, put your hand up. Five young people did. They were all immediately uh, pain free. No one prayed for them. They just immediately, the pain had left them. And um, that... That opened up around 30 or 40 young people were saying last night, were testifying that they'd been healed last night off the back of that. Um, and I just felt the Lord is really wanting to open our hearts to expect fresh fire in us. And obviously that impacts healing, but also all of the other things uh, of the spirit that we have known and, and grown to love as a community. Uh, the, the journey really began with this scripture, John chapter 7. We've got a Bible, you can turn to it, it's on the screen. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And uh, what this passage really illustrates is that Jesus had an end game. 
And uh, his end game was not just the forgiveness of our sins. I hope if you've been part of us as a community for a while, you have understood that Jesus died for your sin, that he died in your place so that your heart could be washed clean from the stuff you've done wrong. Wow, that's good news right there. Better than your faces are showing. Uh, That's amazing news that he died, that we could be washed clean. But that wasn't his end game. That was really the entry point to a new life. He was then raised, and after he was raised from the dead, he sent forth his Holy Spirit. And his promise to his followers was, stay in Jerusalem, wait for a while, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the the message that we begin with is this, that the transformation of the early church, the transformation of every human being, begins first with the forgiveness of sin, but after that with the receiving of the Holy Spirit. I hope you haven't got the message that somehow this is just a glorified self-improvement program. That somehow we just come along and learn some great principles about how we ought to live our lives and all try very hard to achieve them. That is not the message that we are preaching. The message that we're preaching is that we were all hopelessly lost sinners who didn't have a clue and didn't have a chance of changing themselves. Jesus came, he died, his blood washed us clean from our sin, but then he poured his Holy Spirit into our hearts hearts and the Holy Spirit is the one who changes us. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to do the things that we couldn't possibly otherwise do. He enables us to live a supernatural life and and everywhere you read in in, in stories and movies today it's about people doing supernatural stuff. It's the the buzz phrase of, of, of these days is movies and books about the supernatural and yet it's all fantasy but what we have in the Christian life is the reality that we were born for supernatural things, that we were born to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are just ordinary people and yet we're clothed with an extraordinary God, that he has come to fill our hearts, to enable us to do things that were undreamed of in our lives before. That is really good news. And that's the message that the giver is willing, the gift is prepared, that that God is not asking us to earn it or work harder for it. It's a gift. When you receive a gift, you receive it freely. Have you you ever tried to pay for a gift that someone gives you? They don't like it. God's the same way. It's a free gift. He gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. He gives me the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said that gift will be like a river of living water flowing out of you. And there can be a danger even in church that sometimes we respond for prayer and we're kind of expecting something to come down upon us when actually the message is once you have received the Holy Spirit, it should flow, he should flow out of you. Out from within your heart, Jesus said, rivers of living water. The, the question for us is, firstly, if you're perhaps a new Christian or perhaps you're not yet a Christian, the question is for you is, have you received that gift of the Holy Spirit? And if not, you can receive that this morning. It's a gift for you. And the second thing is, if we're believers already, and we've already received that gift, is that gift moving in our lives? Is the Holy Spirit moving in power and revelation through us? Is he moving in that way? I mean, it was just great yesterday, the teenagers are out in the streets, and one young lady asked uh, a woman that she met uh, the miracle uh, question, which is, uh, if God could do any miracle for you, what would you like him to do? And, um, and the lady she was speaking to said, I'd like to live with someone, uh, another member of our family, because it's not good at home right now. And this young teenager asked the Lord, what's this about? And, and she said, I think this is about uh, you want to live with your grand, don't you? And the lady said, yes, and begin to well up. And she said, 
but I think your gran is sick, isn't she? She said, yes, she is. And then she said, and your gran lives overseas, doesn't she? And she said, yes, she does. (laughs) It was just a moment where she just got the Holy Spirit of revelation came on her and through her and she was able to pray and minister to this, this uh, woman who is in, in this situation. I love the fact that we're a community that can expect these things, yes. that can raise our children to expect these things because that's what we were born for. The question for us, each one of us, is this. Is, is the Spirit moving through us in the degree that we would like Him to? Is there... Is there more? And we should be the most satisfied, unsatisfied people on the planet. (laughs) What I mean by that is we should be satisfied. God, you are enough. I don't need any of that junk anymore that I used to run after and spend my life and go after. I don't need that stuff anymore to be satisfied. I am satisfied in you. But God, I want more. (laughs) We should be the most satisfied, unsatisfied people on the planet. A hunger for more of him in our hearts. More of him. As Marco said, I don't want to live an ordinary life. I want to live a life clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the early church saw. That's what we should be yearning and living for. The question is not, is there a giver who's ready? Because the giver's ready. The question is not, is the gift ready? Because the gift is ready. The question is, are the recipients ready? I don't know if you've ever tried to give a gift to someone who didn't want to receive it. Have you ever tried to spend time and money, uh, an effort to wrap up and give a gift to someone, and as you gave it to them, you looked in their, their eyes and you thought to yourself, they don't even really want this. Anyone who had that experience? It's quite a miserable, discouraging experience. They don't even really want this. And, and yet I wonder how often the Lord feels that about the gift of his Holy Spirit. I wonder how often we have hearts that are prepared for this gift, for this gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, there was a survey done recently of lottery winners and um, various surveys have been done over the years. This latest survey showed that a third of lottery winners will go bankrupt during their lives after they win the lottery. They have a higher incidence of alcoholism, of drug addiction, of all sorts of other issues, divorce, higher incidence than the average population. If you won a lottery, typically it's bad news. It's bad news. Someone once said, if you hate someone, give them a lottery ticket. <laughs> because, because typically it doesn't go well for people once they win the lottery. Why? Because their hearts were not ready. Their hearts were not ready for the gift that they received. Their hearts were not prepared. And so it's not just important for us to be ready. Uh, It's not just important for the giver to be ready or the gift to be ready. As recipients, we have to be ready for the gift. And and what uh, Jesus says in this passage is that rivers of living water will flow out of us. And when Jesus and John the Baptist came to earth, They both preached the same message. They started with this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I had always thought that repent meant say sorry. Say sorry. Repent is a word that I'd heard many times and I thought it meant say sorry before I began to study it and realised that the word doesn't mean say sorry at all. What it means is change your thinking. Change your thinking because God's kingdom is at hand. God's kingdom is so upside down to the way we see life that if we don't change our thinking, we just can't handle it. Everything changes when God comes. The way we used to think and process events and our lives in general has to be flipped on its head. Change your thinking because the gift of the Holy Spirit has come to your life. Have we changed our thinking? 
And, and it's the, the illustration I always use is, is this. When I get, we go to the beach as a family, uh, we'll often walk onto the beach and there'll be a, a river running across, across the beach from the land out to, to sea. You often see these kind of little streams and rivers. And as you, you see them, I always worry it's water from the toilet block. But anyway, um, <laughs> try to put that out of my mind. Um, because the first thing you want to do and the first thing my kids want to do is, is to get some rocks and dam the river. You've probably done it yourselves. Put some rocks across and you make a dam. And it doesn't take actually many rocks before a fairly uh, a sizable flow can be stopped with just a few rocks on the beach and suddenly you've got no longer a river, you've just got a lake, a lake of whatever water that is. Uh, and <laughs> take some anti uh, <laughs> You've got a lake. And, and the reality is, the reality is, it's a little bit like that with our hearts, I think. Because Proverbs says this, above all things, guard your heart because out of it flows the things of life. It's the wellspring of life. I think it's the same picture that Jesus gave. The spirit will be given and he said rivers of, of living water will flow out of them to eternal life. It's that same picture that actually the source is within us. Once we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, we no longer need to come from the, to the front of the meeting and say, God, give me something from the outside. It's more, God, flow out of me from the insides. But what would hold that back? Perhaps there are rocks in our hearts, things that would stop us from moving in the life and the power that the Spirit would want to move through us in. And that's probably, that was our journey as a, a community, as learning to understand that God's Spirit was in us, His power was in us. We just had to let Him flow. We had to get out of the way of His life. We had to stop trying very hard and instead just get out of the way and let Him flow through us. What do we need to get out of the way? And I tell this next story, uh, I've told it many times before, I'm embarrassed to tell it again, but Marco's making me. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, it, and it really started, um, Caroline and I had been married about five years, and um, we'd got to that happy place in marriage where uh, she had realised that all the issues in our marriage were my fault, and I'd realised that they were all her fault. <laughs> and if you've been married for a while, you'll realise it takes a while to get there, but when you get to that, that's actually quite a good place. You get to that place because you stop working. You think, I'm not going to work on my stuff anymore. This is, all the issues in our marriage are your fault. When you work on your stuff, then I'll work on my stuff. Anyone else got to that place? And, yeah, you're not putting your hands up, but uh, I know you're lying. It takes, uh, sometimes it takes a few, sometimes it takes five years, sometimes it takes longer. But, but sooner or later you get there. Sooner or later you get there. And so... Caroline had then gone to the States and had received some uh, prayer from a lady called Diane and had come home transformed. She was so, so different. And when you see someone that you love change their thinking, you repent. When you see that, you know it. Because it's no longer just about their actions changing, their actual thoughts change. And you can tell because their actions change for good. They don't go back. The way they think, the way they talk, the way they process life changes. It's repentance. So I saw this. And it was literally like a mirror to my stuff. If you want to transform your marriage, stop focusing on the stuff in your partner and start dealing with your own stuff. And sooner or later, deal with it enough, you will become like a mirror. And if they're wise, they'll realise, gosh, the person I married has changed. 
and they'll start to change themselves. And so that's exactly what happened with us. So the next year, I went to the States as well. I went as a family, and I went to see this lady, Diane. And Diane is like the kind of Yoda of healing prayer. She just sits in her chair with her eyes closed and her head back, spouting wise things about you that you wish you'd seen 10 years earlier but never did. And so we did a day with Diane, and at the end of it, I went home to the family, and she said, uh, the family said to me, Caroline's family said, what, what's, uh, what happened? I was like, amazing day. They said, what's happening tomorrow? I said, well, Diane says I need to see Brother Nelson and they said and I said why? Why do you say that? And they said well Brother Nelson is the deliverance guy Diane doesn't do deliverance whenever someone needs deliverance she wheels out Brother Nelson he's not in a wheelchair but she wheels out Brother Nelson because she doesn't she, she, uh, she brings in Brother Nelson because he's, like, you know, he's like the kind of hit man um, and I know <laughs> I know what you're thinking because you're thinking you've got a picture now haven't you of a guy dressed in black with a cross and garlic and that, is, I, that was the picture I had, which is why I didn't sleep very much that night. And uh, the next uh, day, met with Brother Nelson, and he um, was a lovely guy. He monologued, actually, for an hour. He could really talk, Brother Nelson. And he talked for an hour, and I was British, so I didn't interrupt him. I was too polite. And so he gets to the end of an hour, and at the end of an hour, he stops and he says, Simon, have you ever repented of the sin of, br- uh, the sin of pride? And my response was, well, I'm not a very proud person, which was the wrong answer. He was not looking for that answer. <laughs> He said, he said, it's not the pride of haughtiness or arrogance. He said, it's the pride of self-reliance. And I had never heard that phrase before. And I, was, I can picture the sofa where I heard that phrase for the first time. I was skewered to the sofa by the Holy Spirit. As I realized scene after scene after scene where I had taken the road of self-reliance. And, and on coming back and going through that journey, I realized for the first time how much work Jesus did with the disciples in the three years he had with them before the Spirit was poured out. He took them on a massive Diane on steroids journey <laughs> of prayer and ministry and, uh, and discipleship to bring them to the point where they were ready to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Stuff had happened to them and so much of it was around this issue of self-reliance. Uh, in terms of prayer, what did he say? He said, when you pray, go to your room, shut the door and pray to your Father. Why? Because when they prayed in those days, they prayed in public and they liked everyone to hear their needs to show how spiritual they were but also so that some person next to them might think oh you've got that need I'll help you with that how much is it so today when we put out when we get a need we put it on Facebook or text a friend or look to how we can fix it ourselves Jesus said go to your room and shut the door shut yourself off from every other source and look to your father He was teaching them a lesson. The first thing you've got to realize in this spiritual journey that you're on guys is no longer are you your own source and so many of us get, have got where we got to in our lives today by being our own source. By, by, that's even what we were taught. We're taught not to be dependent on other people. We're taught you've got to stand up for yourself. You've got to stand on your own two feet. All these kind of things in one sense are good, but in another sense they cut us off from God because he is to be our source. He is to be the one who flows through us and out of us. And, and you see it again and again, but perhaps illustrated best by the picture of Jesus when he sends his disciples out the first time. And the first time he sends them, he says, they're going on a ministry journey to pray for the sick, to preach, and they'd never done it before. And the first thing he says to them is, don't take any money, don't take any bread with you. Basically, take nothing to provide for your own needs. But when he sends them later in their journey, he sends them again to preach and to heal the sick. But this time he says, you can take, you can take money. You can take uh, an extra cloak with you. The first time he says, don't. Why? This is what he says, and this is the reason. 
Your father knows what you need. You see, before we can minister to others, we have to first realise that God knows what we need. Unless we can trust God for our own supply and our own resources, we have not got what it takes to supply other people with what they need. It starts first with our hearts. Your father knows what you need. Your father knows what you need. But we've got a mortgage payment we can't quite meet. Your father knows what you need. But we can't afford a car and our car's busted. Your father knows what you need. But I've got a difficult meeting at work tomorrow. Your father knows what you need. But I might lose my job. Your father knows what you need but there's difficulties in my marriage your father knows what you need I'm struggling with the kids your father knows what you need and again and again and again we'll be hemmed in with life's problems until we get to this place where we shut ourselves in our room and realize he's a good father he knows what I need he is my source he is my provider He is the one who has committed himself to me. I am not on my own. And sometimes you have to get on your own until you can realise I'm not on my own. I'm not on my own. And sometimes God will even dry up the supply around us to put us on our own so that we can realise I'm not on my own. He is my source. I'm not living by self-reliance. I'm living by him and his provision. He knows what I need. And when we get to that place, it first starts with the personal, but then it extends to the missional because then we start to realise if he's got enough for my need, maybe he's got enough for the needs around me. And then suddenly we start to become a conduit, a channel for the resources of heaven to come onto earth. And that was exactly Jesus' end game. That's, right. That's exactly why Jesus, when he taught the disciples, he pointed them again to say, I only do what the Father's telling me to do. I, I, it's not my will, but his will be done. He taught them, I am modelling to you that I am a channel for the Holy Spirit the power of God, the life of God, the provision of God to flow through me. What about the feeding of the 5,000? When Jesus is faced with 5,000 hungry people, he first says to the disciples, you give them something to eat. And they say, we can't. (laughs) They're like a little bunch of chickens. We can't, we don't have it. Clucking around, we don't have it. So Jesus takes the problem back off them. What does he do? It says, looking to heaven. The first thing he does is model to them, looking to heaven, he gave thanks. He's teaching them that you will face needs beyond yourself in this life that I'm calling you to. But every time, stop, look to heaven. Like that teenager in the story earlier, what did she do? She hasn't got the need for this lady in front of her. What did she do? Look to heaven. Your father knows what you need. So this is the first journey and we've learned it again and again and again I'm still learning it this journey of the rock of self-reliance as we detonate this thing it just enables us to stop trying very hard and start becoming a flow of his life and I mean I, I if you won't learn it God will teach you in a different way I remember we had a was we were praying for this building and we ran out of money 
And on the Sunday, I was like, God will provide. And by Monday, I was like, we are going to go bankrupt. This is a nightmare. And by I'd work myself up again the next Sunday, I'm like, God is going to come through. And the next Monday, I'll be like, ah, and just going backwards and forwards. And then I remember the corridor in our house. I can remember the scene as I stood there like this, kind of bemoaning the fact, I think talking to Caroline who was in the kitchen, and Kaya, my daughter, was four, stood in the corridor, and she said, she'd seen the, this, because she sees what it's like at home, and, and she stopped, and she said, Dad, God has not brought us this far to let us down. I was like, Lord, next time you need to teach me something, please don't use a four-year-old, it's humiliating. It's humiliating and unnecessary. <laughs> God has not brought us this far to let us down. How many of you need to say that over your situation right now? God has not brought me this far to let me down. So that's the first one. Second one is this, the rock of judgment. And we learned this one in the early days as well. As, um, I remember one particular meeting as God's power began to break out and people began to cry and laugh and get freedom and a guy came to me in the break of one session and he said, these people are faking it. I said, what do you mean? He said, these people who are crying and laughing. He said, they're just attention seekers. I said, how do you know? He said, I just know. I just know. I, was like, I said, well, what do you think I should do? He said, like, I'm not sure. Let me think about it. I said, like, okay. <laughs> anyway, the next session, he gets hit by God and he was a mess. I mean, he was crying. He was like, there was snot everywhere down my front and back. I mean, he was a mess. He was so loud. He was the guy that I had to say, look, everyone, don't worry about what's happening over here. You know, God, he, was, he was that guy. So the very next day, the very next day, we had another session, and he stands up to say, you know, I just, and what he says is this. He said, I just want to repent of the judgment I had towards others. He said, I just, I don't know your situation. I don't know your story. I've got no right to judge you for being an attention seeker, and I'm sorry. And, and then he said, and if you also want to repent because you've judged other people, why don't you stand to your feet? And a third of the room stood to their feet. And I thought, we've got a moment right here. It was a moment. It was a life-defining moment for us. We must never forget that. Because Jesus warned his disciples again and again, judge not, or you will be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, it will be judged upon you, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus again and again warns his followers, listen guys, the spirit of judgment cannot coexist with the Holy Spirit in a happy place. <laughs> Why? Because the Holy Spirit loves to move through compassion. He moves through compassion. And if we want fresh fire to fall upon us and move through us, we have to have hearts that are soft towards the people around us. And if they are hard and judgmental, it acts like a block, like a rock to him flowing. Again and again, the scripture says, Jesus reached out his hand and healed them, moved with compassion. And he wants a people who are soft and tender and are moved with compassion instead of a people who are hard and uptight and judgmental. And you can t he's not saying that we shouldn't discern right from wrong because we're called to discern right from wrong. The difference between judgment and discernment is ju judgment you feel a little bit superior. You end up thinking things like, how could they do that? I can't believe they did that. Can you believe they said that or she did that or said that to me or did that or spent their money that way or did this with that resource or spoke to their children like that or didn't speak to their children when they should have? When I mean, I know you guys never have thoughts like this. I'm just <laughs> confessing my own issues. Even on the car on the way here, I was having negative thoughts about three people. Not you guys, somebody else. And uh, negative thoughts about three people. And I was thinking, as I was thinking these things, I was thinking... 
Lord, what is going on? He said, well, you're about to speak on judgment on you. I was like, oh, don't. It sneaks into our hearts so easily that we judge others. And the Lord is saying, we've got to be a different people because he wants to move with fresh fire through us. And he can only move with fire when he, can, when he can move through our compassion and our tenderness. And we have seen so many people, their whole family situation gets changed as they repent, change their thinking about their judgments and say, God, I'm sorry, I'm not going to live with these judgmental thoughts. I've got no right to judge, particularly our parents. And the lie we believe is, if I'd been dealt their hand of cards, I'd have played a better hand. If I'd been dealt their hand, that's what judgment says. If I'd been dealt their hand, I'd have played better. And, and many parents raise their kids as a reaction to how they were raised themselves, out of judgment. But humility says, do you know what? But by the grace of God go I. <laughs> if I'd been dealt that hand, I might, have, I might have done worse. In fact, I probably would have done. Anything I get right today is by God's grace. And when God sees that in your heart, when he sees not a judgmental, prideful spirit, but a, a spirit that says, God, it's but your, by your grace that I'm living and breathing. It's by your grace that I've not made a total mess of my family. It's by, when he sees that, he can't help but bless it. He can't help but pour his fire and his life on it because it's a humble people. What does it say? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. So when we humble ourselves before him in that way, he gives us grace. And we have seen so, I've seen so many people in my own life, in other people's lives, whose families have been changed. I mean, the most striking example was a young man and he responded in a session like this around his brother because his brother had totally messed up their family. He would got a girl pregnant and then he decided he didn't want didn't to know and just fled to the other side of the country. And he'd left this girl and his family, who were a Christian family, to kind of look after her. It was just a total mess. Their whole lives had been turned upside down with a new baby that they didn't expect and had to deal with and didn't want and then had to want. And it was all just a complete mess. His life, his parents' life, chaos. And in a session like this, he forgave his brother. He broke the judgment that he'd had over him. And we went to lunch. And after lunch, he came back and he said, You're, he was stunned he said, I have not spoken to my brother for five years. He just phoned me. He phoned me and he said, he's messed up our family. Is there any chance that we would have him back, that he could come back home? How does that even work? I don't know. But Jesus said it would work. Jesus said that there is a spiritual power in judgments. And if we refuse to partake of it, then he would do something different different through us he was saying I will give you a different measure and I tell you what his measure is good if we will refuse to judge and instead we'll say do you know what I won't I won't I'm not going to judge this the world sees the church as judgmental and we've got to break that we've got to meet them at a place of compassion and mercy does it mean we don't challenge sin when we see it well first we start with our own lives but once we've done that then yes we can but we don't do it from a place of superiority and arrogance and pride we do it with a place of humility of saying do you know what I was in that mess and and it was messing me up, but Jesus set me free. He can do the same for you. We have to repent of judgment. Just turn to the person next to you and say, I think I'm doing all right so far. <laughs> and then we get to the third one, which is the rock of unbelief. Turn to the other person on the other side and say, Oh no, I think it just got worse. <laughs> You know, you can tell your mind is renewed when in every situation 
the life within you is wanting to burst out and change the world around you. When your mind is renewed, in every situation, the life of God within you, like that river, is just itching to burst out and change the world around you. And if it's not, very often the root issue is unbelief. Because that river is within us and it wants to get out. But if it doesn't, if you don't feel that crackling energy of the Spirit, and I would say I don't feel it all the time. There's areas where I feel it and areas where I don't. But I believe that if you were around Jesus, you would have sensed this crackling energy of life, ready to change the world wherever, wherever he went. He healed, he set free, he, he bound up broken hearts, he flipped things on their head. That crackling energy of life is what is our inheritance. <laughs> Each one of us should be living like that. But so often we don't. And, and I've seen in my own heart, it's unbelief that's often at the, at the core of it. And uh, you've heard me tell the story before. I remember the first time I heard a story of a, uh, a, a lady, a, a family who'd been healed of food intolerances. All six of them, wheat and dairy intolerances, they were all instantly healed. They drank a pint of milk and ate a deep pan pizza, which is enough to make me feel sick. And... <laughs> They were fine. All six of them healed on one night. And I told the story at this in King's Arms. I told the story next Sunday I heard it. And I said, let's believe God. This isn't Africa. This isn't India. This is, this is Bristol. <laughs> you know, this is Bristol. If God can do it in Bristol, he can do it anywhere. I mean, nothing against Bristol, by the way. I've, I've actually been there years ago. But you know, get my point. If he can do it in Bristol, he can do it anywhere. And that, that, was, the, that was the revelation. The lady at the end came up to me and said, well, I've got food intolerances. Why don't you pray for me? And my thought was, why do you have to ruin a great story by asking me to do the same thing? <laughs> It's so annoying. I preached a really good sermon. I'm going to have a good lunch and enjoy my day. And you've just ruined it. That's what I thought. Anyway, I didn't say that, obviously. Um, what I said was, all right, I'll pray for you. So I prayed for her, not expecting anything to happen. She went off. Next Sunday, she comes back and she says, I was expecting her to say, nothing's happened. Would you pray again? Instead, she said, I've eaten stuff this week I've never eaten before in my life. And I said, really? Uh, which was a massive indictment <laughs> to the state of my heart. You see, unbelief will just surround us and will creep out of us. And, and the Lord is calling us as a people to live in a different place. How does it come in? I guess it comes in lots of different ways. It often comes in, I think, when we get offended with God, when he doesn't do things the way we think he ought to do them. He's got this funny habit of being God and feeling like he knows better. <laughs> and we don't agree. We think, God, honestly, if you were in my shoes you would have done it differently. We, God, honestly, God, I mean, I know you're God and all, but the reality is, I'm not sure you got this one right. And we don't say that, but that's what goes off in our hearts. And unbelief looks like that. You know, one of the greatest revivals in the church in the last hundred years was in the States in a place called Azusa Street. And the church was praying for a move of God in that nation. They were praying, God, come and move in our nation. We are in a desperate state, much as many in the States are praying now. They were praying for a move. And God did move. He moved on Azusa Street. And it's a revival that went around the world. But I'll tell you what, there were many in the States who missed it. And I'll tell you why. Because the centre of the revival was a one-eyed black man named William Seymour. And he was preaching in a disused warehouse on the wrong side of the tracks. And the endemic racism in the church meant that many would never cross to the wrong side of the church. 
And they missed the very thing that God was doing. The very thing that they had prayed into being because of stuff in their hearts. Unbelief. Unbelief. And how, how often can we fall into the same thing? Where we miss what God is doing because of unbelief in our hearts when he's moving around us. It comes in when we get offended with God. It comes in when we get disappointed and we, and we don't deal with that disappointment healthily. When disappointment lodges in our hearts, unbelief is not far behind. And ultimately the way out is this, is to say, God, you're God and I'm not. You don't owe me an explanation. You don't owe me news of how you're going to fix this. I trust you. It comes out, you know what Job prayed. Job, a man who'd lost everything, and he prayed this, I know that my Redeemer lives. It's just such a humble prayer, isn't it? It's the prayer of hope. It's the prayer of faith. It's a prayer that says, I don't know how I got to where I've got to. I don't know even how I'm going to get out of this. But what I do know is, I know that my Redeemer, my Redeemer means Saviour, I know that my Saviour lives. And while he, lie, while he lives, there is hope. While he lives, there is hope for me. That's, what, that's a posture that gets us out of the place of unbelief. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm so glad I don't have any of those issues. How did you go on? <laughs> On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart would flow rivers of living water. If you'd have been there on the day and said, Jesus, I'm thirsty, I want to drink, he'd have said, You've got to wait because the time had not come. But in our day, he doesn't say, Wait. He says, come to me if you're thirsty. Come to me if you're at the end of your resources. Come to me if you're not sure you've got what it takes. Come to me and drink. Come to me if you want a fresh outpouring. Come to me if you don't want a plateau for the rest of your Christian life, but you're saying, God, I want more. Come to me if you want a fresh spirit of revelation to give you the secrets of people's hearts that you can bring God's power in their life. Come to me if you want the healing power of the Spirit to flow through you. Come to me if you need wisdom for your business. Come to me if you need resources for your life or the lives around you. Come to me and drink. Fresh fire is on offer, I believe, in these days. Let's ask him for it, shall we? Amen. Why don't we pray? Thank you, God. If you're like me, wanting to, either for the first time or for the umpteenth time, say, Lord, get these rocks out of my heart. Why don't you just stand? We're going we're gonna to pray. I really do believe. With expectancy. Yeah, thank you, God. The gift of the Holy Spirit. We can't earn it. We can just receive. And as we receive, let him flow through us. These rocks cannot stand against his power. Why don't we just pray for a moment? Just pray after me, Father. 
Father, forgive us for allowing rocks, pride, judgments, unbelief. We thank you, God, that we're forgiven by grace. Free gift. And we thank you, God, that we receive by grace. Free gift. Now flow through us with mighty power in unprecedented ways. Thank you, God. As we confess us in his faithful and just to forgive us and wash us and cleanse us. And he's so quick to come. He's so quick to come. What might be in a lifetime of behavior, he can change in a moment. He is not slow to come to his people as they turn to him. Just tell him, God, I'm so hungry for you. I don't want to plateau. I don't want to carry on at the same level. I'm so hungry for more. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what I've received. I'm satisfied, but I'm unsatisfied. I want more. I want more. You are the God of more for me. Come, Spirit of God. Come through each one of us here, right now, at the fire of God, the fresh fire of God flow. If you're at your end of your resources, if you're feeling like, I just... I, I just am weary. I need his fire. Just raise a hand wherever you are if you feel like that. God, we just come right now. Let, let those that are thirsty come to you and drink. Drink. Flow into time. Flow into energy. Flow into finance in fresh fire now in Jesus' name. Let it come. Let it come. Let it come more. Just drink. Take a drink from his fresh life, his power in you, the hope of glory. You might not feel like you've got what it takes, but he has got what it takes. And his power is at work in those who believe, who just come to him and say, Jesus, I'm humble before you. Come, Spirit of God, let it come. Thank you, Father. Wow, just receive in any way that you need. I don't know all the needs in this room, but you know. Thank you, God. If you, if you responded to that word about judgment, you realize there's some people you've judged. Just raise a hand as well if you felt like that was you. You realize names, faces, like me in the car this morning, pop to your mind. I just want you to picture those people or that person in front of you. I just tell, want you to, for a moment, tell them how it felt to be treated that way, the way that you were treated just let your heart speak let the junk out just let it out tell them the the feelings the emotions and then I want you to just picture a cord between you and that person I want you to cut it forgiveness means to cut just cut that cord and just say Lord I just lay down the right to judge this person I'm no better than them and I forgive them and release them from the debt they owe me. Come, Spirit of God, right across the room. Break out. Break out in glorious song. For the victory has been won. Come, Spirit of God. Thank you, Father. 
Let's wait on him. Just let your heart posture turn to him. Here he comes. Gifts of revelation and faith and hope. Where there's unbelief, let there be faith. Come, Spirit of God. Flow like a mighty river. Flow like a mighty river. just linger for a little longer we've got to learn to wait on the Lord just wait for him for a minute just bask in his goodness to you the gift is ready the giver is ready he loves to give to his children how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who long for him Come. Mm-hmm. 